Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild card! Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. Welcome to Industry Focus. I'm Nick Seipel. Today we'll be breaking down the latest reincarnation of the Ford Bronco, taking a look at some recent EV IPOs, and looking at some consolidation in the autonomous vehicle industry. Joining me today to break it all down is Motley Fool, Senior Auto Specialist, John Rosevere. John, welcome back on the podcast. Thanks very much, Nick. So right off the bat, I want to talk about this Ford Bronco reveal that came out on Monday. After 25 years away, Ford is bringing back the Bronco. And just judging by the reaction that I've seen on Twitter and some of my friends, it's been an incredibly well-received vehicle rollout. John, what can you tell us about this vehicle and why it's important for Ford? Well, my two-word take is, it'll sell. Uh, In fact, it's already... They've got this sort of Tesla-inspired reservations thing going, and they've been taking reservations. They haven't told us how many yet, but um, they had one limited edition that they were going to build 3,500 of, the uh, sort of the launch edition of it that had all the options and and so forth and some special trim. And that was gone by the next morning after they, you know, after they revealed the the, the Bronco on Monday night. And the interesting thing about this reveal is how well Ford pulled it off, despite the fact that they had to tear up the plan they had a few months ago. I mean, they were going to show, uh, they were going to show this in the New York auto show. They were going to show some, they were going to, um, show, I think the Bronco sport at the New York auto show. And then the Bronco itself, uh, at the Detroit auto show, which was supposed to be in June, both of those were canceled. Uh, they had to go to this whole plan B online doing, you know, through multiple channels and so forth on their YouTube channel, various partners showing it. Uh, they did a great job. Uh, you know, it was the talk of Twitter for a day, which is not something you see with a traditional automaker that often these days. Uh, it is certainly a very a, a product that has got a lot of people's attentions. Uh, certainly a lot of the people uh, I've talked to have either put up the $100 reservation fee or they're seriously thinking about it or they're trying to decide between the two and the four door. Uh, it's really, you know, for something that is that is obviously a niche product, it really has captured a lot of attention and imagination and generated a lot of excitement. So, so you talk about this being a niche product. I think this very clearly is an attack on Jeep Wrangler and its presence in the market. How big is that market segment? Could it actually move the needle for Ford in a meaningful way? Uh, well, I don't know how big the overall market segment is because it kind of depends on how you dice and slice it. Jeep sells about 20,000 uh, Wranglers a month, give or take. Um you know, and then another five or six thousand gladiators, which is the pickup truck variant. Uh, you know, I think I think if Ford could get ten thousand Bronco sales between the two and the four door, the full size Bronco a month, that uh, after the first few months after launch, they would be pretty pleased. Uh, what's interesting to note, though, is Ford is setting this up as a sub brand. Uh, there isn't just the Bronco, which. Uh, you know, is a body-on-frame SUV that shares its underpinnings with the Ranger and will be built in the Ranger's factory on the assembly line in Michigan. They're also uh, debuting the Bronco Sport, which is a, a very new thing. This is what they call a white space product. They haven't had something like this before. Uh, it shares uh, architecture with the Escape, but uh, everyone at Ford insists it's very different to drive and very different inside and out, that it's a true off-roader. This seems aimed more at the Jeep Compass and maybe the Jeep Cherokee uh, as a as a unibody uh, 
SUV with some still some real serious off-road chops. Uh, so, you know, they, they're like I said, it's a sub-brand. I mean, they're, they're not just taking on the Wrangler. They're also, to a lesser extent, um, that could grow over time, taking on a couple of other Jeeps as well. Uh, clearly, Ford has seen you know, the sustainability of sales, uh, the constant sales growth that Jeep has had for years, uh, the margins that they're putting up that, that, you know, helped Fiat Chrysler out of a, a, a deep hole of debt and, and, you know, into, um, profitability where they even, pay, they were even paying a dividend before the, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, you know, I think they want a piece of that. I mean, CEO Jim Hackett's mandate is increased profit margins. And we're going to do that, uh, by, Playing, going big in the segments where we're strong, and SUVs is one of those. I mean, they've got uh, perennially popular sort of family hauler SUVs, the 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 Explorer, the Escape. Uh, you know, why not a brawny off-road side to that too? You know, we have that heritage. Um, if we can get past the O.J. Simpson thing, uh, which is actually something they tested uh, <laughs> to see if before they decided to do this, to see if they could get past the O.J. Simpson thing. Um, you know, there's a chance here to to win incremental sales, add some margins. And, you know, some of these people might be, you know, they were walking in to buy an Escape and they leave with a Bronco Sport instead. But some of these people will be off-roaders who might have had a Jeep last time. And and maybe there were things about it they didn't love that the Bronco addresses. Uh, Ford has certainly put a lot of effort, a lot of developmental effort, and, you know, a lot of love into this, too. And, and you know, people smirk when you talk about love in an automobile, but that's what makes products that win with enthusiasts is if they're developed by enthusiasts who get it. I mean, because then the little touches go in. This is a big part of Jeep's success. Ford gets that, and they have mirrored that in their own effort with the Bronco. One of the clever things that I saw when I was reading up on on the vehicle design was they'd done something with the mirrors where on, on the Jeep, uh, the way the mirrors were installed, when the door would, when you would take the door off, uh, sometimes the mirror would come off with it because it was attached uh, to the door frame, but they set it up in such a way that it's now attached to the one of the supporting posts uh, on the vehicle, so you can take the doors off uh, of the of the Bronco while keeping the mirrors intact. Which, as a driver, hey, I want to see behind me. Uh, you can, you can see uh, uh, the appeal of that. You mentioned the Jeep has been a significant profit driver for Fiat Chrysler. Any concern there for that business that losing market share uh, to the Bronco could impact them in a negative way? I. I I don't think so. I mean, I don't think they're going to lose, you know, half their sales or anything here. What you might see is the market expanded that, you know, where Jeep was selling 20,000 a month, Ford comes in, sells 10,000 a month. Maybe Jeep still sells 18,000 a month. You know, I, I, I think there's room here. I think when you come out with an appealing product, you get people who are maybe driving an Explorer right now um, or, you know, a RAV4 or a Camry or who knows what, right? And they say, oh man, I want one of those. Uh, it, it, the Wrangler's been around forever, but when something new and fresh comes out, uh, even if it, it, you know, functionally a similar product, you're, you might say, wow, yeah, I want one one of those as you know we've talked about people are saying that right now and we'll see if that carries through to when it's launched but um you know there's a lot of potential here and and i don't think i don't see it harming fiat chrysler drastically I, I i think it will draw new buyers to the segment um yeah i mean yeah they'll beat each other up for a while but uh you know the bronco is the fresh face in town they get a year or two to run with that before you know the the marketing wars start. <laughs> 
You talked about earlier they're, they're viewing the Bronco as kind of a badge they can use, a sub-brand they can use to, to build out uh, additional offerings. And, and this is another thing that we're seeing uh, with the Mustang. Ford rolled out the Ford Mustang Mach-E earlier this year, which is going to be an electric crossover SUV style vehicle. And with both these horse badges, you know, with the Bronco horse badge and the Mustang horse badge, you're seeing Ford expand its its product offering. And in a certain to a certain extent, being a fast follower in the case of the Mach-E following Tesla and in the case of the Bronco, perhaps following uh, the Jeep Wrangler. When you look at these these tool, these two horse badges for Ford going forward, how important do you think they will be to the continued growth of the brand and success of the company? Well, let's step back a little bit. A few years ago, Ford said, you know, we're going to revamp our product line to increase profitability. And they're going to focus on four areas, uh, trucks, commercial vehicles, SUVs, and what they call performance as a grab bag. Uh, you know, Mustang is clearly the performance sub-brand. Uh, does that mean there will be five more Mustang-labeled models? I don't think so. Uh, but but that's that's how they're thinking of it. The Mach-E and the Mustang itself uh, are... are distinct products that that share sort of an approach. I think that's what they're doing with Bronco too. I mean, the Bronco Sport is a different product. They haven't talked about it much yet, um, but I think we're going to be hearing a lot of that because I think it's going to do well uh, in the same way that Jeep's Compass and Cherokee have done well for a long time. Um, but, you know, there may be a third, they may come out at some point with a Bronco pickup. You know, I'm just hypothesizing. Uh, that's sort of like an extra brawny ranger or something that has the Bronco styling details. Uh, you know, you can see space for other products. You could see a smaller product. You could see a bigger product. Um, you know, and, and really, when you look at it, they were already doing this with the Transit family of commercial vans, which come in several different models and sizes, and with the F-Series, which is really three trucks or really two trucks, the, F, the F-150 and then the Super Duties are variations. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're going into these four areas and investing in uh, products they can get good margins on. And, you know, I think the Bronco is certainly going to be one of those. Before we move on from Ford, uh, you mentioned uh, the F-Series. I'd be remiss if we didn't at least mention uh, the new F-150 that was revealed uh, on June 25th. What should we know about this new truck? The F-150 or the F-Series is the highest selling vehicle in North America. Well, you take the first, you take your first glance at the new 2021 F-Series and you say, okay, that's a Ford truck. Would they do different? Uh, there are subtle differences in its styling. It has a little different stance. Um, but the devil, the, the, the sort of the big changes, I don't want to say the devil because they're good. Uh, the big changes are under the skin. I mean, there's a there's an elaborate new wiring harness that allows them to put uh, simply put more computer power into it. Um, you know, there are a lot of the little innovations that truck buyers love different things about, you know, you can use the tailgate as a workbench now because it has recesses where you can put your clamps, you know, all these little things, uh, the trick where they did the hybrid truck, but then the hybrid can be an onboard, the hybrid, uh, system can be an onboard generator. So you don't have to carry a generator, uh, in your bed if you're going to a job that requires a generator. Uh, so, you know, maybe you buy the hybrid, not for the, the improved fuel economy, but because of the convenience of just having that there. If you go to a job every day that, that, you know, you have to bring a generator to, you don't have to haul it in and out of your truck all the time. It's right there. It's part of the truck. Uh, you know, power goes out, you can, you can, you know, power all sorts of things from the truck out in the driveway until it comes back on. Uh, all these kinds of things. These are these are classic Ford touches. Putting in these these little touches. I mean, I just think about um, 
the one on the Mach-E that got our attention. Well, the Mach-E has a frunk, a front trunk like the Teslas do, uh, but the Mach-E is, is plastic lined and it has a drain. You can fill it with ice and put your beer in there. And, you know, I mean, that these little kinds of things where, you know, it probably doesn't cost more than a few bucks to manufacture versus just doing it the way everybody else does. Uh, Ford is great at those things, especially with their trucks. Um, and we're seeing those, you know, come out on the Bronco as well. And those are the things, you know, you go and look at three different trucks on a weekend and you say, you know, I really like the way I could use the Ford tailgate as a workbench. And that sells the truck. Yeah, it, it's it, it, this stuff works. Um and and that's why they they spend so much time and money on it and and they're good at it as the F150's success over the last what five decades has shown. Okay, so, so moving on uh, from the F150, one thing I didn't see on that F150 reveal that I was hoping for uh, was a new electric truck. Hopefully, we'll see that um, in, in the coming months. But one company that is working on hopefully uh, being the first company to commercialize an electric truck is Rivian. Uh, last week. Uh, Rivian announced uh, news that they they had raised a 2.5 billion dollar funding round led by T Rowe Price with Amazon also participating. This marks the biggest funding round for Rivian yet. What what do you make uh, of this news? Uh, Rivian has a plan and they're executing on it very nicely, as far as I can tell. Uh, what I make of it is that Rivian is a serious advanced effort to mass produce upscale electric. Uh, vehicles, a truck and an SUV that will be priced um, as premium products. I think they're starting right around 70000 both of them. Uh, they have a factory. Uh, they have uh, the people you want to have um, developing the manufacturing process. They have uh, excellent advisors, excellent partners. Uh, you know, they, they are... Uh, they have a substantial presence in Michigan, in Plymouth, I think, um, where they, you know, they're right in touch with the the, the nuts and bolts of the auto industry. Um, they they are one of several companies that seems to have watched Tesla stumbles with manufacturing while at the same time excelling in software and said we're going to do this differently from the start. Uh, CEO RJ Scurringe is a young guy, but he's he's been very astute about how he's gone about this. He's built great relationships. Um, I do not see Rivian heading for an IPO via a SPAC or something like we've seen with some of the other companies. I think they're going to work their plan until they're ready. Uh, they were hoping to ship trucks by the end of this year. I don't know if uh, coronavirus has pushed that back, but I bet it hasn't been pushed it back by much if it has. Uh, they have, uh, their innovation is they have developed what they call a skateboard, which is a flat, low-slung, um, single integrated architecture that includes their suspension, which is off-road, uh, the motors, and the battery pack. And what they've done is they're putting a pickup truck on top of it, and then they're putting an SUV on top of it. And, you know, the products are a few thousand dollars different. They have similar capabilities, similar range options. Uh, their off-road system is very advanced. I think they're using four motors, um, really optimized for for that kind of thing. Uh, and, and you know, it's going to be at an upscale price point. And so, you know, there's a lot of excitement around the product. Um, it is a little, the, the styling is somewhat unusual, but I mean, there's still functional work as truck and SUV. And, um, you know, I think they're in a position to do very well. And I think they have the money to get into production now. Yeah. I mean, $2.5 billion funding round really is going to do a lot to get to get them uh, into production. You mentioned Rivian's focus on, on staying private. That is in contrast to this big trend 
uh, we've seen over the past several months of a number of EV companies looking to come public, whether it's via a SPAC or otherwise. Nikola Motor is one a lot of people are familiar with, but there's some other smaller companies like High Lion, Fisker Automotive, Xpeng Motors has been rumored to, to be looking to go public. Lee Automotive uh, is an Lee Auto, excuse me, is another one that's been that's been rumored to coming public. Again, what do you make of this huge, huge influx of new EV companies coming public? Well, you and I talked privately about this the other day. It reminds me a lot of 1999 when everybody who had any connection to internet infrastructure, internet, you know, powering websites, powering e-commerce was rushing to go public. There's a certain amount of that right now. Uh, You know, a couple of big companies do well. Tesla's monster success, uh, the way their stock has just gone right up, has gotten a lot of people off the bench. Uh, The fact that NIO, the the Chinese automaker, uh, its stock has also um, really taken off in the last couple of months. They, uh, They came into 2020 with some uh, some serious questions. I, their sales were clobbered when the coronavirus outbreak hit in China, which was, of course, earlier than it hit here. It was early in the year, and they were running out of cash. Uh, they did a deal. They now have plenty of cash. Their sales have more than recovered. Uh, the, one of the reasons they were running out of cash was they had spent big to expand their sales network last year in a move that a lot of analysts said, you're doing too much too soon. Well, now that buyers have rushed back after the coronavirus, uh, that sales network is working in their favor. So their stock has zoomed. Uh, and I think, you know, you see, Nicola on the sidelines watching that, maybe they haven't been able to raise the kind of money uh, that they wanted earlier in the year. Well, you know, they get approached by a SPAC and maybe we can do it this way. Uh, and Nicola has success with the SPAC than these other SPACs, which uh, seem to be mostly run by private equity guys. Uh, private equity people, although they are mostly men. Um you know, they're like, okay, who can we get? Who's left? Who's left? And and you see investors swarming to these names. Uh, you know, Nikola Hylian. Uh, Hylian's thing is they make a hybrid drivetrain that can be uh, retrofitted or installed in a, a truck made by somebody else. This is kind of like what Nikola is doing, but different. Hylian doesn't have a factory. They don't intend to have one. They have partnered with a couple of big auto industry suppliers to manufacture their products and ship them directly to uh, people who retrofit trucks and to truck manufacturers who um, are used to installing uh, outside powertrains from companies like Cummins Diesels and things like that. They're, they're in that niche. Um, that's a really interesting business. I'm not yet sure what it's worth, but I've talked to the, a couple of the people behind it, including the founder, um, and and they have a they have a real plan uh, that is not shooting for the moon that seems achievable. Uh, and then we talk about Fisker. I don't, uh, you know, uh, Henrik Fisker uh, is an auto designer. He designed. He worked for Aston Martin as their chief designer for a while. He set out, started a company um, to you know, developed this hybrid, uh, the Fisker Karma. Uh, it crashed It crashed and burned, uh, the company that is, um, although some of the Karmas burned too, which was a problem. Uh, went into bankruptcy, got sold. He's trying again with this new company. Uh, they have developed an SUV. They're hoping to use it, to build it on Volkswagen's um, MEB, uh, what, what, what Volkswagen calls a toolkit. Basically, it's a, it's a, highly flexible platform for electric vehicles. Uh, VW has said they would love to license it to other people or build the platform for other other automakers, large and small, to use. Ford has already agreed to build some uh, vehicles for Europe on it. Uh, but you know, they they when VW showed their electric dune buggy earlier this year, that was kind of an invitation to the the 
boutique auto community to say, hey, you know, if somebody wants to step up and and use our architecture, we can provide it, and you can build whatever kind of vehicle you want. Um, Fisker is is aiming to do that. I don't know. Uh, I mean, much remains murky right now, including. Um, you know, the details of their plan for execution and so forth. They're hoping to have it on the market in a couple of years, but, um, you know, it's a small vehicle. It's aimed at the roughly $40,000 price point. So, you know, Model Y, Ford, Mustang, Mach-E, various other entries coming in in that neighborhood. Um, We'll see. I'm not sure that's going to disrupt the industry and change the world, but, you know, they they might make a sustainable business out of it. What's it worth? Probably not tons and tons, but, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens as this deal goes down and they tell us more about their investors and their business plan. So, John, in your opinion, are these these newly public companies investable today? Um, the emerging Wall Street consensus on Nikola is, uh, okay, it's a great business plan. They seem to have the pieces in place uh, at somewhere between 45 and 55 bucks a share. It's probably a hold over the midterm um, because, let's face it, they don't have any revenue yet, and we haven't yet seen that they can execute on the plan, although, I mean... You know, they have a strong foundation, but they don't have the factory built yet and and so on and so forth. Uh, Hylian, um, it's an interesting business. I'm not sure how huge it gets over time. I I still need to look at that somewhat more. Um, In terms of Fisker, I would not rush to buy that right now until we have a clearer view of what their plan is. Uh, I do not think that's a, you know, that's not going to be a trillion dollar company based on the plan they've shown so far. Um, to be fair, neither Highland or Nikola, although Nikola could get quite big. And Highland has staked out um, an interesting niche that will likely grow significantly over the next 10 years. Um, so, I mean, there's potential there for both of those companies to do well, even though they kind of view each other as competitors. Uh, Fisker is... I wouldn't rush to buy Fisker quite yet. Like I said, I, I think we need to know more about where they're going and they won't tell us that until they're closer to this deal with Spartan energy. Okay. And then moving on one last topic I, I wanted to cover before we went away today is this continued consolidation partnering up uh, we're seeing in the autonomous vehicle space. So on consecutive days, June 25th and June 26th, we got major announcements uh, from both Amazon and, and Alphabet through their Waymo subsidiary in the autonomous vehicle space. So on June 25th, Waymo and Volvo issued a joint uh, press release uh, that, that Waymo will become the exclusive global level four partner for the Volvo car group. Uh, and then on June 26th, the next day, Amazon announced it was acquiring autonomous vehicle startup Zooks in a deal worth roughly $1.2 billion. Before we dive into these specific deals, themselves, just from a high level, John, this year we've seen this continued consolidation between autonomous vehicle companies and automotive OEMs and large companies like Amazon. What do you make of this continued trend? We've seen this with other technologies, right? Promising, groundbreaking, transformative new technology uh, seems within reach. Uh, Companies large and small rush after it. Uh, it turns out to be harder than they thought to get there. And then there's, you know, consolidation as maybe people aren't interested in funding 15 new self-driving startups run out of people's garages. And, and you know, especially right now, uh, I, I, think, I think we are in sort of a trough of disillusionment with self-driving right now. It looked so promising. It looked like it was going to transform everything by the early 2020s. And right now we have, you know, 
Waymo hasn't really deployed a whole lot yet. GM had talked for a long time about deploying by the end of 2019, and then they came out and said, no, we're not ready. This is There are still big challenges here. I, I think everybody's realizing this is a harder problem than maybe they thought even a year or two ago. And that means some of the funding for the companies like Zooks, which was a small company with very ambitious plans to build its own vehicle, uh, maybe was not coming in. Uh, you know, maybe they tried to do a round and it fell short. And Amazon walked in and said, "We we would like to, you know, acquire all of you and your technology." And they said, "Okay." Um, we talked about this before the broadcast. Uh, there are a lot of ways Amazon could put this to use. You know, they've, they've contracted with Rivian to build them a fleet of electric delivery vans. They could they could autonomize those in time or experiment with that. Uh, Zooks had planned to build a, a self-driving taxi fleet, basically a ride handling service. Um, you know, Amazon could tinker with that. They could think about that idea. They could maybe roll that out as a defensive play if Google and, you know, Cruise and somebody else uh, get into space that they want to be in. Um, it, it's a good thing for them to have in their pocket. And, you know, with Amazon's bank account and cash flow, they can afford uh, a flyer on this. Yeah, you look at this this Amazon Zooks deal, and it looks to me like Amazon got a bargain price. I think the most recent private valuation Zooks had, had been valued at was somewhere above $3 billion. Amazon got him for about $1.2 billion, which I think was just a little bit over the total amount the company had raised uh, throughout its history. You do mention Zooks had some some pretty high aspirations when it, when it comes to their their vehicle development. A lot of companies are just developing the software stack, but but Zooks has aspirations to build their own vehicle, which, which certainly adds uh, to the cost. They've been looking to raise funds for a while and finally landed with Amazon. John mentioned a lot of the speculation has been, how is Amazon going to use that in their logistics fleet? But when you look at the press release, they sure are mentioning ride-hailing a whole bunch uh, in that press release. So we'll just have to see how they use this technology. Moving on to, to Waymo or Waymolvo. Last thing. I just okay, want to say ahead. one last thing about them saying ride hailing in the press release. Uh, that has certainly been Zooks's focus uh, for a long time. Uh, just because Amazon pays lip service to it in the press release doesn't mean that's what they're actually going to do, right? I mean, we'll see two years from now, three years from now, what their plans are with this. Yeah, and I think, you know, for me, you've seen Zooks, uh, in the past year or so, as they as they've been seeking funding, have been a little bit more open about sharing some videos about the capability of their technology. And when you see some of the the things that they've released, uh, it it appears pretty impressive. We'll have to see how Amazon puts that to work. Moving forward to this Waymo Volvo deal, uh, Volvo I think in the past had been developing some of its own autonomous technology. Now partnering up with Waymo, what does that mean for the company? Volvo had a joint venture with. Um a Swedish supplier whose name escapes me right now to develop uh, advanced driver assist and eventually autonomous technology. They disbanded that last year. Um, and I think this is them going to plan B. Look, we're Volvo. We, we're going to need to be out in the forefront of this. Our brand is safety. Our brand is you know, technology integrated in, in a certain flavor of way. They, we need to have a self-driving car uh, and certainly more advanced driver assist stuff uh, at the point where other people are rolling that out in upscale vehicles. Um, Waymo is probably a slam dunk way to get that. I don't know exactly what they had to give up to get there. Uh, you know, we haven't said the devil is in the details of that contract, which must be mighty interesting. Um, 
yeah, I'm sure Waymo was delighted to this. It does, you know, it's not an exclusive deal for them by any measure or anything like that over time. Um, but, but you know, it, it gives, okay, Volvo can now sit back and say, okay, we have an answer. When self-driving's a thing, we have an answer. Um, and they can sort of check that off. Uh, they are a small company backed by a fairly big one, Geely, uh, which is in some ways the most successful of the big Chinese automakers, um, owns them. And they, they have fairly deep pockets. Uh, and and but but you know Volvo is a profitable prize for them, and they want to make sure that 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 continues to be a successful business over the long term. And you know this is this is insurance, if nothing else. You know when they need self-driving, they got it. <laughs> right, Volvo and Google ha- have really partnered relatively closely. Correct, I, it wasn't it the the Polestar electric vehicle that Volvo is rolling out is using Android's uh, software. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean these discussions have obviously been you know, going on for a while, there's a relationship there. At the same time, Volvo for a while had a relationship with Uber's self-driving program back when that was a thing. Um, they, uh, so they've been looking obviously at outside potential providers of this technology for a while. A couple of years ago, uh, Volvo provided a bunch of vehicles to uh, Uber's self-driving unit, which was in Pittsburgh at the time, um, to use as as uh, sort of prototypes for, for a potential, you know, robot taxi. Um, and, and Uber has backed away from that effort uh, considerably uh, over the last year or two. Um, and this, you know, going with the the company perceived to be the leader right now is an astute move for them if they don't think they have the resources to get there on their own uh, in time. All right. Kind of wrapping everything up, John, obviously lots lots of change going on right now on, on autonomous vehicles <laughs> and electric vehicles, new companies coming into the market, consolidation. <laughs> um, when I think about the EV market and autonomy, maybe even as well, it reminds me somewhat of if you think back 15 years ago uh, when you watched golf, there was always this conversation of every tournament it was Tiger Woods versus the field. And I think when you look at EVs and autonomy right now, that conversation comes around to, to Tesla versus the field. And I'd be remiss if we didn't at least mention Tesla before the end of the show. So, John, as we look out 10 years from now, if you had to, to pick or bet on a company to uh, to be the number one company in the world when it comes to revenue derived from electric vehicle sales by 2030, would you take Tesla or the field and why? I would take I would specifically take Volkswagen <laughs> because Volkswagen is going into this in a very big way. They want to sell a few million a year uh, within five years or so. Uh, they have they can throw you know tens of billions at this very quickly. They are ramping a whole supply chain to do this, and uh, that's one side of it. Also, I mean you know Volkswagen sells ten million cars a year. Um, you know as more and more of those become electric, they will be capturing you know, quite a few sales, especially since they're out in front of most of their large rivals right now, uh, a little bit, or at least more visibly out in front. Um, I think GM could be a contender there too, although perhaps not on the scale of Volvo. Uh, In terms of Tesla, I mean, I think there is a good, successful, sustainable business for Tesla around 3 million vehicles a year. That's roughly BMW-sized with BMW profitability, uh, maybe somewhat better operating margins if they manage it well uh, because of their technology. Uh, I do not see Tesla being the giant automaker that, you know, puts Toyota and Volkswagen and General Motors and Ford and everybody else out of business. Uh, 
for starters, they can't build factories fast enough to do that. And second of all, I think there's a ceiling to demand for, you know, quirky but whiz-bang $50,000 cars, <laughs> you know, Elon Musk or not. Uh, the market for those just isn't, you know, it isn't infinite. Volkswagen sells a lot of $15,000 cars around the world. Uh, you know, Toyota sells uh, a lot of fifteen twenty thousand dollar Corollas all over the world, Hilux pickups, which are, you know, very inexpensive transportation. Uh those are where the the green gains will be made when you have products like that. Uh Tesla has moved somewhat down market, but at least right now they don't I don't see them with a plan to build a twenty thousand dollar car. Um I, I think they're comfortable where they are. I think I think they've they've you know certainly captured a, a emphatic enthusiast following um, as we've talked about before, uh, auto brands with enthusiast followings tend to be niche players. You know, Jeep has an enthusiast following. Uh, Dodge has an enthusiast following. Um, BMW had an enthusiast following for a long time and has sort of broadened itself. Uh, Tesla could do that over time too. But even then, BMW is something like 2 million vehicles a year. Um, it is not the 10 million that Volkswagen or Toyota sell. Uh, and, and people need to remember that most of the people in the world are not buying Teslas. And most of the people in the world have no interest, who buy cars, have no interest in a Tesla. Tesla does not meet their needs. It does not meet their budget. It does not, you know, it's not what they want to do. Um, you know, they find Elon Musk annoying, whatever. You know, they're not going to buy a Tesla. Uh, you know, it has terrific uh, owner loyalty and satisfaction within its niche. Um but I don't, you know, it's not going to get Volkswagen sized. Meanwhile, Volkswagen is already Volkswagen sized. And it's, you know, as it shifts more and more of its portfolio to electric, they're going to get more and more of their revenue from electric vehicles. All right. So, so John's taking the field here. If, <laughs> if folks have their, if folks have their opinion, I uh, want to let us know. You can tweet us at uh, Industry Focus uh, on Twitter, or you can email us at IndustryFocus at Fool.com. Um, one programming note for everybody, I'm going to be traveling and staying with family over the next three weeks. So the next three energy episodes will be pre-recorded. I've got what I think is a great slate of programming lined up. Next week, we've got an interview with Will Thompson of Massive Capital, focused around investing amidst a transition on our global energy grid. And we have an intro to options episode with Foolish Options gurus Jim Gillies and Jim Mueller. And finally, Jason Hall and I will be talking a little bit about what college football taught us about investing. So for any college football fans or investing <laughs> fans uh, or just mindset fans, uh, maybe you can come check that episode out. John, thanks once again for joining me on the podcast, as always. Thank you for having me, Nick, as always. And as always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for his work behind the glass. For John Rosevier, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening and Fool on. Fool on.